discover the possibilities of internal medicine. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Kellen King, and I am the chair of the Health and Public Policy Committee for NYACP. Today, we're just going to have a conversation with two of our advocacy interns. So with that, I want to welcome Dr. Dalhis Dunker and Dr. Kevin Wong. My name is Dalhis Dunker. I am a second year resident at Mount Sinai Morningside. Um, I'm planning to practice as a primary care physician. Thank you. And Kevin? Yes, uh, my name is Kevin Wang. I am a third year resident at North Shore Long Island Jewish for internal medicine. I am uh, going to be starting hematology oncology fellowship at North Shore Long Island Jewish in uh, June, July. Dalhees is actually finishing her four-week internship with us now, and Kevin is just beginning his four-week internship. So some of the questions will be a little bit different. Dalhees, um, have there been any specific bills or topics or issues that have taken you by surprise? Well, so far, I, I wouldn't say that um, any particular policy uh, or bill has taken me by surprise, but um, I think it was interesting. Uh, recently, I was learning about this proposal to transfer the oversight of health professions from the Department of Education to the Department of Health. And I think learning about the implications that we'll have in the scope of practice of across several of the health healthcare professions was, was very interesting. So tell me more about that. What have you... What did you find most interesting? So for me, being like a, a foreign uh, medical graduate, um, it was interesting to see, to see how like across all over the US, um, the practice of medicine and other healthcare professions is determined by different entities. Like there is no a unified or a standard uh, organization that determines who does what. So here in the US, here in New York, for example, the Department of Health uh, was the entity that until now determines the scope of practice of some of the healthcare professions like nurses, physicians. And now with the Department of Health taking over, we see that in the context of the COVID-19 pandemic and the, the changes in some of the restrictions that we've seen, seeing how now the Department of Health will have also the authority to maybe dictate or change the scope of practice between the different professions. I think it, it's interesting. And I'm looking forward to see what will actually end up happening. As part of your research into that, did you look into other states? Are there other states that have the Department of Health that regulate medical professions? Yes. So actually in my review, I, I haven't um, compare any particular state with New York, but I had the opportunity to recently review a paper that was comparing um, the regulation of the healthcare professions across a few countries, including Canada, the US, England, and Australia, and how the differences in how these four countries regulate um, have the impact to affect the quality of care among regions. Yeah, interesting. Tell me what country you did your training in. I trained in Dominican Republic. And how do they um, regulate it? It's actually a little bit similar, similar to the U.S. We have the Department of Education, Higher Education, and the Department of Health. They both work in 
in synchrony and they, they determine the scope of practice. Some of, I will say some of the differences, however, is that I think the a spectrum of healthcare professions is different. For example, we in Dominican Republic, we don't have nurse practitioners. And because of that, the practice of the, the scope of practice between nurse, nursing and, and uh, medicine, it's more delineated, if that makes sense. After reviewing the paper, comparing the four different countries that you just mentioned, Australia, Britain, um, Canada, and the US, I can imagine without having reviewed the paper where the US falls, but was there a clear difference between the US and the other three countries in terms of health outcomes and quality of care mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and health disparities? Well, the, this paper didn't really look uh, into it in terms of health disparities, um, but definitely it looked more into it in terms of the regulate, regulating entities. Uh, like for example, in Canada, um, I was learning about this concept of umbrella frameworks, umbrella legislations where across different cities in the country, um, they have the ability to, to um, determine uh, the scope of practice uh, between each region. A little bit change of topic right now, but Dalhis, um, since you're concluding this, with all the research that you have done and the time that you've spent in the last four weeks, is there something important that you feel New York policymakers should know about internal medicine right now in New York State? Um, I will say this is, this is probably something that most policymakers know, but I think I, I would like the opportunity just to highlight that. General medicine um, is a very broad, uh, has a very wide range of um, specialties. Um, but I would like to emphasize that encouraging physicians in training and people interested in healthcare to go into general medicine, primary care is one of the key measures to help address so many of the health disparities that we're seeing now. So I, I will hope that every policymaker is aware of that and understand why it's so important to promote primary care in order to develop a more a stronger community. That's a great message. Um, I want you to pretend that I am a policymaker right now. And I want you to follow up on that question and tell me why do you feel that primary care is kind of the key to helping um, minimize health disparities? Of course. So. The reason I believe that is because the healthiest countries are those who have a stronger primary care or have more prevention. Mm -hmm. And the way to have or to promote healthy communities is not just by targeting a chronic, a specific chronic diseases. It's instead by promoting uh, preve prevention and by um, having physicians who have who take care of communities from the perspective from a wider perspective. Yeah, we're really good at looking at the forest rather than the 
individual trees and seeing the bigger picture and the path through that forest, I think. Excellent. I'm going to switch over to Kevin for a few minutes. And um, I'm curious in terms of what you're hoping to learn for the next four weeks. Yeah, uh, I think just coming into it, uh, I don't have a lot of knowledge on um, advocacy, health policy. So I want to learn first uh, more about the legislator, how laws are created, the NYACP uh, and their role in advocating and writing memorandums and uh, trying to influence policy. Specifically, I'm also interested in malpractice and laws that govern that. And I think a lot of doctors will have more uh, understanding of that when they're in practice, but just uh, to have a sense of uh, what constitutes malpractice and um, what are the laws that kind of dictate whether this mistake is, is um, something you should be liable for, not liable for. I know New York State has one of the highest, actually, uh, malpractice insurance in the country. So uh, hopefully I can get in touch with, I think it was the Medical Liability and Mutual Insurance Company, uh, which I heard that uh, NYACP has a strong partnership with. So that's uh, just one uh, specific goal that I was hoping to learn more about. It's a lofty goal, but it's a very important goal. And it's always very active every legislative season in terms of what can we do for malpractice reform? Because as you just stated, New York State has really high premiums and that can be very prohibitive, especially as we're face facing a shortage of doctors. It can be prohibitive for doctors to go into primary care where other specialties that may not be as well reimbursed, it, you know, they have a hard time meeting the premiums. That's excellent. Do you have any other legislative topic interests that you've heard about that you might want to delve into more over the next four weeks? Just, I guess, the discussion we were having uh, previously in regards to telemedicine and the uh, ability to practice in different states, uh, which I think is uh, interesting, and, and the laws that govern telemedicine. I know that it has become, I think, easier to practice in telemedicine. It's become definitely more accepted with the COVID pandemic but regulations uh, that can be put in place to ensure that the patients and the providers are well protected, I think uh, is important. It's a huge topic. And that actually falls into some of Dalhi's interest too, in terms of just speaking about the, you know, the differences between the states and our federal and then our state system of regulation. And I think there's lots of interesting pathways that you can explore with that and a lot going on right now in telemedicine in New York State. Have you done much telemedicine in your residency? Yeah, so I think as a, when I was a first year resident, there was no such thing as telemedicine. But right when COVID uh, pandemic hit, it became completely telemedicine. I had a four plus one schedule. So uh, it would be four weeks in the hospital, one week in clinic. During the clinic week, there would be no patients at all coming in. So we would all be doing telemedicine from home. Uh, so that was definitely a huge change. Since then, there's now a mix of telemedicine and uh, inpatient visits, but it has definitely become ingrained as a part of our clinic. And I don't necessarily see it going away. Uh, maybe it'll become more prominent, uh, especially for patients who have difficulty coming to the clinic. It could be a, a nice way to encourage uh, patients to see their doctors. So I, I think there could definitely be a lot of benefit to it. Both of you, well said. I came into the health and public policy a little bit later in my career, and it's really been such a wonderful experience for me um, because 
we really do have a voice and we know a lot and we are a valuable resource to our legislators. So, and I think as doctors, we are first and foremost patient advocates for our patients. And by becoming involved on the policy level, we really truly are able to advocate for them and make sure that healthcare can be as good as it possibly can be. And I think, as we were mentioning earlier, I do think we have a long way to go in this country, but I'm hopeful that we'll get there. And it's through the work of all of you. You're our next generation. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you.